Welcome to Get Your Rocks Off with Mick Wall, the world's leading rock and metal writer. Each week, he'll unpack stories, stories that you won't find in print. So pour yourself a Jack and Coke and get ready to get your rocks off. This episode is brought to you by the Get Your Store. For all of your Get Your Rocks Off merch, including t-shirts, face masks, and yep, Hotel Tropicana coffee mugs, head over to getyourstore.com. Hello and welcome to another edition of Get Hello, Your Rocks Off. Good evening, evening and, and welcome. welcome. Uh, I'm Mick, he's John, he's John, I'm Mick. Uh, Coco the Metal Pug isn't with us today, he's resting. Um, uh, and so John, what are we talking about today? Well today, we, we, we had sad news last week and I, I mean that genuinely yeah. sad news. And you don't the, really mean much genuinely. I don't really ever mean no, much No, let's genuinely. be fair, you're not a and, genuine And let's person. face it, most rock stars of the generation we wrote about are coming, you know... They're nearer to the end than the beginning, I think it's fair to say. Oh, I don't know. I, I feel when it comes to people like David Coverdale <laughs> yeah, yeah, and Ozzy Osbourne, you ain't no, seen no, nothing yeah, yet. That, well, Sharon certainly thinks that. <laughs> He's got another couple of tours in him. Easily. Surely strap him to the mic. What was it? Your, was it who was Her, it? Was it, was it Sharon, Don Arden Sharon, who used to Sharon's strap? dad, Don Arden, yeah. where, who she learnt it all from. Her brother David used to call Sharon Don in a skirt. Yeah. Um, he used to manage, one of the artists he managed was Gene Vincent. And Gene had this gammy leg, which no one was really <laughs> sure of until he came to England for the first time. He was also a chronic alcoholic that liked to carry a gun. And um, so Don had this thing that there was a, in the contract, it was, it was as long as you turned up and, and you did a, uh, you know, you started the show, if there was a false majeure, that occurred after that, yeah. that had to cancel the show, stop yeah. the show. You still got paid. Still got your money. So Gene would be completely drunk and on pain pills with a gammy leg. Holding his gun. So he, he used to drag him on. I ain't going on, man. Fuck you. Now, come on. They'd drag him on and they'd try and get away. And they would literally gaffer tape his gammy leg to the mic stand. So he couldn't move. So he couldn't move. And then back, quick, get the band, get the band. Yeah. They'd come on and be like, be bapalula. Or he yeah. wouldn't even see me. <laughs> dun, 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 yeah. And he'd yeah. fucking fall over. They go, yeah. oh no, something's happened to Gene. You know? so, yeah. You're going to see the Stop next. Stop the show. <laughs> the next Aussie tour is just going to be a big cross <laughs> rising up from beneath the stage with Aussie on it. Gaffer tape. Gaffer tape to it. <laughs> oh, come on. Let's go, Mingle. crazy. Let's go fucking crazy. And then pass and then, out. And then the lights just go off and yeah, that's end it. End of the show. Just got your money. Get paid. Got your money. You get paid. <laughs> it's a shame it's not like that for this, isn't it? Because yeah, we could just we'd fuck finish off now. By now. Oh, yeah, I've yeah. got a gammy leg. I've yeah. got to go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you carry on, John. But anyway, yes, the last week... Uh, Oh, yeah, yeah, I was just, just on Twitter, and this way you hear everything these days, isn't it? On, you know, social media is ahead of everyone else. And uh, Jim Steinman had died. Yeah. Yeah. Jim 70, Steinman. 72 stroke, 72 stroke 73, not that old. 
No, not at all. Um, not at all. Ill for some time, obviously. I mean, you know, they say in dog years, yeah, you know, in, yeah. in rock star years, quite old. That is quite, yeah, that's right, yeah. Because 69 old. was the cut, 69, 70s, the cut, cut off. The cut off, cut off years. Bowie was 69, yeah. Lemmy had just reached 70. Had he? Bloody hell. Well, he just had his 70th birthday on Christmas Eve, and I think literally three days later he, yeah. he pegged it. Yeah. We're still yeah. waiting for the doctor's examination note because we're not entirely yeah. sure <laughs> whether he's whether dead. he was dead yeah. or not yeah. before that yeah. <laughs> or may even still be walking around yeah. at the rainbow somewhere <laughs> yeah. as we speak. Yeah, we that just could, don't. that could be a could thing. Could happen. That could happen. Could happen. Probably could happen with Jim. Because Jim famously lived alone in a remote farmhouse somewhere in, uh, you know, upstate New York. So upstate New York, where it kind of goes out into Vermont and all those kind of backwoods type places. But also was only awake at night. Yeah, yeah, for awake at night. He used to go to bed after breakfast. Yeah, yeah. And then get up about uh, six or seven. Yeah, and then through the night have these mad visions and dreams that he turned into these insane songs. And I remember him saying, the. His other sort of great passion outside of music, one of them anyway, was wine. And no one really sort of knew about this, you know, but uh, I did this interview with him once and we were having lunch afterwards and he was saying that, he, oh, yes, I've got this amazing collection of wine. He goes, he goes and I write about it because yeah. I have this book and I write in there. And he goes, if it was published... It would be the greatest book on wine ever written. And I thought, actually, you know what? It probably would, because it would be like the lyrics. You know, it wouldn't be any of this, oh, well, there's a kind of a hint of blackberry and a <laughs> bit of dangleberry in the back note. There's you know, a, it wouldn't be like there's that. There's a hint of you know, Sturm und Drang. Yeah, yeah, it would be like, you know, this wine is like the heavens opening and God's own hand coming, you know. I would drink anything yeah. that's <laughs> yeah. wine, but yeah. I would not, not drink yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, you don't get the impression Jim got his wine from the local supermarket, you know. Well, he didn't go for the three ninety nine Thunderbird. I don't think. I mean, he would have done. I mean, there was a great quote from Meatloaf where he said once, um, you know, because he said Jim was he, he was sort of both incredibly greedy and incredibly generous, but, but you never knew which one you were going to get. So he, just, he might, like, send you round a Cadillac <laughs> or he might be eating 18 donuts and you'd say to him, Jim, can I have one of those donuts? And he'd go, well, I don't know about that. You I've know, only got I'm, 18. <laughs> I'm quite hungry, yeah, yeah. So a man of, you know, and he just one of the most eccentric but genuinely lovable people I think I've met. And, and you don't say that very often. And there's a few things. Once, once I'm coming off my long run here, once I've revved up my bike, bat out of Hellstar, I've got a few things to say about Jim because he was quite something. Yeah, okay. Well, yeah. I, well I'm bracing myself. Bracing. In, into the brace position. But first of all, I'm going to set you up. No, I'm going to set you up here because you are the author of uh, a meatloaf, a very, very good, very fine, one of your finest words. What you're looking words. for there, John, is definitive. Oh, it was definitive. I didn't know it was, no, it was definitive. considered definitive. definitive. If it isn't considered definitive, it should be. No, no, meatloaf. it is. No, no, I can assure you, it is most definitely considered. <laughs> the publisher told you. You Very put, it on the, so. put it on the back. Well, I, yeah, yeah no. Put it on the back no, of I the can, book. When it becomes, you know, the <laughs> the uh, the Publishing and Rights Act of 1653 says, when it's written down on the back of a book, it is true. Well, you know, uh, 
I sent a copy to Jim and I, I said, I consider this definitive. What, what about <laughs> yeah. you? And yeah. he said nothing. Yeah, which he, he, which he never which heard which back. Jim Steinman turned is a resounding <laughs> yeah. yes. Endorsement. It's yeah. an endorsement. Endorsement. So, it says on the book, in fact, yeah. uh, the best book I've ever uh, read, John Hotton. Yeah, And then definitely. it says, says definitive, Mick Wall. <laughs> and then it says nothing. Yeah, Jim, Jim Steinman. Now, let me just say, well, look, I'm setting you up here. Hang on, because no, no, because, no, no, because, no, no, Can I just no, say no, the one important the necessary. one important thing before we start is to say before the, we start the book was about meatloaf, but what it did really incredibly well was to identify the fact that meatloaf, as we think of him, is two people, not just one. It's Marvin Lear Day of Texas, Houston, Texas, and it's Jim Steinman of New York. They come together to make this thing called Meatloaf. Over to you. When I interviewed Jim Steinman, it was, I was working this out, it was about 14, 15 years after you did. And he was telling me all about his wine. As oh, did well. he? Did he? Yeah. Except it was quite strange because I'm ringing him at what for me is like, trying to think back, it's like 11 in the morning or something. And for him, it was like four in the morning. Mm. But it, 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 there was no differentiation. This clearly for him was like 11 in the morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Except like a vampire. He just had breakfast. Yeah, he just or brunch uh, or something. He just had brunch. He was in the middle of his day. Yeah. And he was telling me about the wine tasting thing. And he, and he, he, said, he said what he said to you. you know, if it were published, yeah. I'm thinking, well, publish it. Yeah, yeah, amazing. yeah, yeah. Um, That's the thing. I think he did, was one of those people, a bit like old Cove, who did tend to say the same things every time he was asked. But that wouldn't have anything to do with the fact that he lived his life at night in the <laughs> no, same room alone. No, no. Like, you know, I can't remember what he, he said he to He truly who. was the phantom of the opera, He, wasn't he? he really You'd was. Jim! Yeah. Jim, what? Yeah. You've got to eat. No, not yeah. until I finish Bat Out of Hell 12. Yeah. Here we go. But Jim... Meatloaf's here to see you. Tell him go away. Mm. Yeah. So yeah. Um, uh, but he was. You said about that being generous or or being mean. I'm talking to him. We're getting on great on the phone, and um, um, he goes, "Oh, hang on, I, I had a parched throat or something." He goes, "I'm just going to get a sip of water." And I said, no problem, take your time. He went, oh, thank you. Thank you for allowing me the time to <laughs> sip some water. And I was yeah. like, no, I didn't mean... <laughs> yeah. you know, and I thought, oh, yeah, he's it. just laying down the law Yeah, there. I said, don't fucking sass me, yeah. Steinman. Yeah, you should have just hung up. Total eclipse just fucking hung up. Yeah. Eclipse that, mate. I said, one more yeah. like that, yeah. Steinman. You're off. Yeah, you and me. You're off. Yeah, that's finished. Yeah. He would have backed down because he, he wasn't a fighter. Jim wasn't a fighter. The extraordinary thing about Steinman, I think, and his work, when you think about his work, I mean, famously, he couldn't drive and yet he'd written Bow Hell. Um, you know, he, he was... Uh, but didn't he say to you that his... was Either you or me or someone, he said, um, my fantasy is to drive a motorbike to the top well, of... That, that was at this... There was a video shoot. I'll, I'll quickly... Tell you about that no, no, interview you, you because jump it, in there, John. Well, because it just went on for so jump long. In, it was, mate. it was at no, the you jump in. It was at the time he did um, Pandora's Box, which was a, a sort of a, a solo record with four female singers interpreting this 
semi-concept album he'd done called Original Sin. Everything he did was, was it, yeah. I mean, it was it was massively over the top, of course. And so um, he'd signed to Virgin, and his his press officer was Phil Savage, who was probably the least appropriate press officer Jim Steinman could have, only because Phil went on to form Savage and Best, which was the PR agency of Britpop and all of that sort right. of thing. And they kind right. of became almost as big as the bands themselves. You know, it was a Savage and Best thing or whatever. But I knew Phil, I didn't know him when he was doing that, but I knew him beforehand. And he was lovely. And actually, I say he wasn't the right. He was a tremendous PR for Jim because he's an incredibly empathetic guy. And, he, you know, we'd have these conversations because I was a huge fan of Steinman and Bat Out of Hell since I was a little kid, you know. And uh, so he goes, anyway, Jim's coming in and he's making a video with Ken Russell, right? Fucking and you think, Fuck, you know. Oh, my God. Go, Who put those two together? You know? <laughs> I mean, if you want something to, you know, essentially go wrong, Put together Steinman well, why, with Ken Russell. Why didn't Russell? they just let off a load of dynamite <laughs> exactly. and just say, there's the video by exactly. Ken and Jim because I think, with a motorbike yeah, and a yeah. scantily Because I think Ken, by this point, you know, and, and I'm sure uh, uh, listeners to the pod will, will remember and know that... Readers. Ken, yeah, readers. <laughs> readers of what? Ken's son, Xavier, worked with us at Kerrang. So, you know, Ken is a sort of... A member of the yeah, a starry community. A starry member of the heavy metal community. Well, well, I, I, revered because of the stuff he did. He'd done Tommy. It was so over the top. Yeah, he'd done Tommy. He did he'd list, done Listomania. The, yeah, the devils. You the know, devils. I mean just amazing filmmaker. But I think at the time he was working with Jim, I think it's fair to say he'd burned his bridges in the film filmmaking community because all of his films were a just these mad Ken Russell visions, you know, so you never knew what you were going to get. He was basically the Jim Steinman yeah, of cinema. Yeah, filmmaking. Yeah, you mean, you, you know, I mean, with Jim, you kind of knew what you were going to get musically, but with Ken, I think it was even more obsessive and, and You know what baroque. would have been the ultimate? Freddie Mercury yeah. working with Jim <laughs> yeah. Steinman on an album. Yeah. As videoed by Ken yeah. Russell. I mean, it would just never, I mean, it would have been great, but it would never have come out, you know. Uh, but so we go to this, I think it was at Pinewood and me and Phil went down and he was taking lots of people. I remember he, they also took um, Stephen Wells, the bloke who wrote for... Uh, Enemy. For Enemy. He was famously scathing about yeah. anything to do with rock. But I think he kind of really liked Jim's stuff. Not, I don't think he liked his music, but I think when he met Jim, he really liked him because it was sort of impossible not to. You know, he was wearing, he was a kind of, you know, by this point he was, he was sort of middle-aged. He had, he'd gone premier, I mean, if you look at the Bat Out of Hell, Bat, Bat, back of Bat Out of Hell, the, the original album, there's a picture of Jim and me and a girl on that. And he's, Jim's kind of going prematurely grey, even when he did Bat. Oh, yeah, he know. was one of these, he was born grey. Yeah, yeah. So I think, so but by this point, you know, you've got to remember, no one's seen Jim Steinman <laughs> because he only ever gets up at night. No one's fucking seen Jim for years. So we turn up at Pinewood and there's this little guy, he's got this, he's got this biker's jacket on. I don't know if you got it in Camden Market or something, but some guys painted all these sort of devils and stuff on it. But he's quite sure. He's got this crinkly grey hair that's going everywhere. He's got these eyes that are just like limpid pools. Like he, well, I mean, obviously, Ken Russell is working during the day. 
So for Jim, <laughs> so for Jim, this is like staying up all night because he's usually it's asleep daylight, at this. He's yeah. asleep at this point. He's brought his own earth yeah. in the coffin, though. With but him. we're at Pinewood and there's loads to do, and the, all the the four girls are there to do this video. And Excellent. it was, it was, it's all coming back to me now, which later became a big hit. Can I just was that your phone making? It's you very important news. Oh really? That'll be very important news. Will that, that be I can't Boris? Dis- on I the can't. Phone? I can't discuss. Is with that you. Dominic? On I the can't. Phone? <laughs> You're the you're the secret architect behind the sleeves. <laughs> I'm the, the chatty rat, as they say. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> I'm going to chatty rat on Steinman. So so we so we're looking. No, and, and Ray Palmer was the photographer, and and the the photographs that Ray did that day. They're still used. Whenever you see a picture, because he was photographed so rarely, whenever you see a picture of Simon, he's got that jacket on. If you right. ever see, right. see those pictures of him for Pandora's, in the end he used, um, the record company uh, was so desperate to get a photo of him, they used the stuff that Ray took on the back of the Pandora's <laughs> box album for the PR stuff, because they couldn't, how you couldn't get anything else. madly appropriate that so, they would use Ray yeah, right. pictures <laughs> yeah. of the yeah. all-girl band. Yeah, exactly. So Ray's loving it, obviously, because he's four girls. Hello, and, and the girl who sang Hello, the song, darling. whose name was Elaine Caswell, was, uh, they had like this... Um, it was a bit like a sunbed, but slightly bigger, you know, lit from underneath. Not hot, obviously, but it must have been semi-hot. And she's lying, essentially... What, naked? Well, essentially naked on mm. top of this thing. Um, can, can, I say, can, can I just say, yeah. essentially naked well, I mean, is better had, than naked. Yeah, OK, there's a little bit left to the imagination. Not a lot. Not a lot. That, that yeah. doesn't work. A yeah. little bit mm. works. So she's lying on this bed. And Ken Russell being Ken Russell, obviously this isn't, you know, nearly insane enough yet. <laughs> so what does the song It's All Coming Back to Me Now say to you? What it said to Ken Russell was, get a load of boa constrictors <laughs> <laughs> right, and put them video. on top. And right, Ken Russell, so having described some as this little sort of slightly pudgy, never seen daylight Obviously, that quite could, that could be Ken you know, you're quite describing. Quite well, yeah, and then Ken's standing next to him, who has got mad grey hair as well, <laughs> and it's like sort of quite scruffily dressed, but he's obviously in charge of this. Jim and Ken, set, you know, Jim and Ken. So they and they're inseparable. You know, they they've obviously hit it off, and they're inseparable. And Jim, over the Jim, wine. you know, Jim will whisper something in Ken's ear. You know. <laughs> and kind of go more boa constrictors. <laughs> it was insane. So this poor woman's on this bed, and we're all staring at her. Basically, and they go playback, you know, and you get this. Fucking, was she uh, in the group? Yeah, yeah, she was in the. She, she was, was in the she, group. She sung the song. She was going what to was sing her name? Elaine Caswell. Was oh, oh full and, which I did, if you were listening about thirty seconds listening? earlier, I said to you, what did you? I said to what her, her name about? was Elaine. <laughs> Caswell, that was her name. You young people. Yeah, that was her name. And and then they start, anyway, so we have lunch and all of this, and it's going on, and they built this set at Pinewood, and Jim's whispering in Ken's ear all at lunchtime. And uh, Ken comes over and he goes, uh, Jim has said what he would like is a bell tower. (laughs) And uh, the the actor in the, to ride his motorcycle up the bell tower, that was it. and that at the was climax it. of the song, he will ride out of the bell tower. And there's all these technicians standing around going, "Mate, where do you want me to get a bell tower from? You know, we're at Pinewood." 
So it's it's Actually, madness. Actually, I thought Pinewood it's would be a good place to get a bell. Probably would. They make but all the movies, it, there, don't they? It's overrunning like crazy. And Ken Russell says something like, um, "Not over budget." As well. it, it, Surely well, not. Ken Russell goes something like, "It's it's ten thousand pounds an hour to." I mean, I can't remember what it was now. Ten thousand hours pounds an hour to keep going. Got to six o'clock or whatever, and Steinman just goes, "I'll pay." <laughs> said I'll pay and so we carried on and then the next day I think it was the next day me him and Phil went to this this lunch we went to a really nice Indian restaurant I can't remember the name of it and Steinman again I didn't know he did this but apparently it was very characteristic when the guy comes over to take the order he just said bring me everything yeah. I, can't, I can't decide what I want yeah. so we we're sitting in this Indian restaurant you know they bring it on those trolleys this guy's there's about five trolleys worth of stuff and Steinman's sitting there picking at everything oh I like this I like that and you're thinking and he's oh have some of that but yeah but you, you, you've got your finger you're putting your fingers in it Jim oh have some of that have some it was and I his mean, it was fingernails nuts. were long yeah. and black like <laughs> a vampire don't they Vamp- so we had this mad lunch you know but it was tremendous and it was one of those things where the person that you're meeting absolutely lived up to how you wanted them to be. Yeah. You know, having no, no, that, that's a great story Thank and you. Um, long, but, you know, a great story. Oh, I've only um, just started, buddy. This is like a Steinman song. You get the first, you get the first two choruses you think, and you oh, think, yeah, I like that where song. can he possibly go from goes here? somewhere else. That's oh, right. well, you just wait. Yeah, I've often thought of you as a Steinman song. Yeah. The story about him eating, ordering everything off the menu and eating with his bare hands, that was a thing. In fact, when I was, um, I don't know if I ever mentioned, but when I was researching... Did, did he say to you, I've just got a dry throat. I've, <laughs> I've ordered some food. Can you hang on? <laughs> I've just, I've got a dry throat. I've ordered 24 different mm. mineral waters from around the world. <laughs> I'm going to have a drink for yeah. me. <laughs> Could you call me back? No, don't call me back. Wait. Um... That's all right, Jim. I've got some tap water here, um, which I will also, you know, stick my hand in. Um, You told me that story, a great story. And then when I was doing the book, A Bat Out of Hell, Meatloaf, 2017. Yes. Get it now. Definitive. Definitive. Um, And, of course, researching it, um, I found countless stories right up to, like, 2013 or something where someone from LA Weekly goes to interview him and it's almost the same story except it's it's, it's not an Indian restaurant yeah, yeah. Mexican any, or something any yeah. restaurant yeah. he just would order the entire menu yeah yeah and, and it goes pack- to that thing that Meatloaf was saying about you know he was slightly gluttonous you know for everything completely yeah more choruses, more middle-aged. Exactly, yeah, yeah. He also worked really, really well with female vocalists. Well, I think the thing to say, and I was thinking this... Ogres on, and princesses. Yeah. Well, that's absolutely right. I think there's there's a couple of things to say about that. One is that in Steinman's songs, women are revered, which is a big flip from rock music at the time. Revered, but kind of put on a pedestal. Yeah, exactly, yeah, revered. That's what revered like, means. archetypal. Well, they sort of are, yeah. I mean, I think he's trapped in this very teenage vision of the world. I think he, you know, his development in the very best way is arrested in that fevered teenage imagination. And and you're absolutely right about the ogres and princesses. Me, uh, um, Jim's music, in many ways, this this will sound odd, but is for and about losers on the male side. That's what it is: fantasy and losers. Because and that's him what, was the ultimate kind of nerd. Because his background was East Coast elite. He yes, was privately yeah. educated. Yes. 
He was writing his own symphonies and musicals as a teenager. In college, a yeah, yeah, a prodigy, a prodigy, yeah. Um, so, you know, no luck with women, let's be fair, yeah. at this point. And, and so much of his songs and the fantasy element, this is what I meant by putting on a pedestal. Yeah, is, revered, is, yeah, that's is, what is, that, That's what you meant. What, what, what I meant was not just putting on a pedestal, but... Um, mythologizing so yeah. that each woman would be young and beautiful and, yeah that, uh, also I'd, with I'd, the long flight yeah, i mean like with, with bonnie tyler he talked yeah. about in the video for that uh she epitomized this archetype he'd had in his head forever of um kind of like an angel in hell which would be this dark stage suddenly this bright white light on this almost kind of virginal, yet yeah, voluptuous yeah. young woman in a white floaty dress <laughs> yeah, and hair. And yeah. Real kind of um, fairy tale stuff. Yes. Like ro- ro- yeah, ro- very um, much not so. Robin Hood, Red Riding Hood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And the big Peter, bad wolf. Peter Pan, which he was obsessed with. Which he from, was obsessed from with. Early, I mean, I think, uh, you know, you're talking about his early colleges and he comes out of college and then hooks up with this guy, Joseph Pap. Yeah. She's just the most fantastic name. If you were inventing a name for a, a producer of schlocky musicals, rock operas in the early 1970s, Joseph Papp is your man. And but I think he was also he had a serious side too. He, uh, he was he had that melodrama that Jim had. He used to do Shakespeare in the Shakespeare Park. Shakespeare in the Park, yeah, which is where Jim and Steinman at this point writes, and I think this is one of the things I I kind of really I kind of work quite worked up about it. I thought, I really want to say this. You say it, John. There's this, this is your platform, The key mate. song. No, feel free. The absolute... Speak free. I will, I will. The key, Get it out, mate. The key song in the Steinman canon is More Than You Deserve. Oh, which is a, a bold song, statement. Well, it's a song he writes very, very early. I mean, it's one of the first songs he writes. And it becomes the title of his first musical that Meatloaf appears in. And Meatloaf plays the, the character Rabbit in this in this musical. And actually, on YouTube, if you Google more than you more than you deserve, 1974, you can hear Meatloaf sing the song in the stage production. And it's just completely raw here how amazing Meatloaf's voice was as a young man. Um, absolutely tremendous performance. And it has this completely spontaneous standing ovation at the end of it. So obviously someone in the crowd's just taped it. It's an amazing moment, really worth listening to. But this song, More Than You Deserve, has all of Steinman's tropes contained within it. It's almost like the big bang of Steinman's songs because it's about a guy who is betrayed by his girlfriend. and I.e. betrayed by life. Yeah, but, but, but he... But, Again, he reveres the girlfriend and with Steinman's sort of terrific wordplay, you know, um, he, the, the, the lyric goes, won't you take some more, boy? He catches a, a, a guy with his girlfriend. Won't you take some more, boy? It's more than you deserve. I.e. still revering the woman who's yeah. betrayed him. She's more yeah. than you deserve. It ends up, she, she's, I, then I saw you making love to a group of my best friends. So I looked them all in the eye and I said, won't you take some more? It's what you came no, for. You know, and I said, yeah, and won't I said, you take, take some, some more? more? It's what you came <laughs> for. 
<laughs> and it's brilliant. I mean, when Meatloaf sings that bit, it's so good. It's so good. But more than you deserve. I mean, essentially, everything Steinman later has to say, he says in more than you deserve. Mm. He just finds different and in and lots of ways but better ways of saying that's it. That's the same. But that's many but I, great writing. It is actually. They they're constantly constantly driving at this one thing that obsesses them, Which and they that, they try and say it in as many ways as they can. Inside that has churned out. The good stuff. Absolutely right. And it does, and Steinman does it again and again, you know. But the thing also, I think, about Steinman and Meatloaf, which uh, people didn't get initially because it wasn't, you know, they came out on this budget label, Bad Out of Hell did, they couldn't get a deal anywhere. There's been a lot, years and years in the making, which we can mention in a minute. But when they finally come out, um, of course, it's now one of the biggest selling albums of all time, but it wasn't when it first came out. It took a long time because there's no social media, there's no yeah, MTV. Yeah, yeah. And then on those few occasions where they do put him on a television camera, but people are gut audible gasps yeah, yeah. Well, this, as the monster yeah, look, look, is this, led on stage. Yeah, this goes to the thing of Stein and Steinman songs own, you know, I mean, I know later he's recorded by Barbara Streisand, by Celine Dion. Those songs never really work when they sing them because they need, it's that kind of really odd thing of, of you know, you're saying dragging the monster on stage is perfect. You know, Jim chooses to sing his songs, this 300-pound loser from yeah. Texas. And, yeah. you know, your book actually, which I have read, brilliantly paints the portrait of Meatloaf as a young man and what he was like at school and essentially an outcast, you know, hugely overweight, doesn't really can't really find a place you know hugely overweight and you would normally make him the guy in the football team but yeah. he doesn't want to be that you know yeah. he wants to be on stage so uh, and jim fight you know later in his career he finds bonnie tyler a washed up one hit wonder you know he on from wales yeah from Wales. it's all coming yeah you know, air supply who he gives making love out of nothing at all to yeah, a couple of wet blanket Australians, you know, who he gives that song to. When he comes to make It's All Coming Back to Me Now, um, sorry, I Would Do Anything for Love, who, who duets with Meatloaf? Some female club singer, Mrs. Loud, that he finds somewhere in the north of England. You know, it's constant, again, with Simon, but, rubbing away but, at the same thing. Rubbing away at the same thing, but there's an, an, another layer, which is, OK, it's the loser, the monster, the guy who can't get the girl except the guy gets the girl. So there are duets. Yes, yes, yes. With uh, Ellen... Um, Ellen Foley, who... Ellen Foley was amazing. Yeah, oh, fantastic Amazing. Singer. I mean... And then and then the, 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 the big breakthrough TV appearance in the UK was the old Grey Whistle Test, where they showed... A, 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 it wasn't in the studio. They just showed a live clip or a clip that was filmed of Meatloaf, um, and I've forgotten her name, the, the woman that did the, sh the live Oh, was tour. it Patty Russo? Yes. Yeah. I, I'm saying it. Or it might, it, no, it might, no, I think there might have been someone before Patty before Russo. That, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, the, the... And there was always a back and forth between her and Ellen Foley because everyone thought because she did the live show, she'd sung it on the she album. she hadn't, no. She hadn't, but, Ellen Foley but, sang it on the Here's album. the thing is there comes a moment in this clip where... Um, Meatloaf has to do this big stage kiss with the female singer. In Paradise by the Dashboard Light, yeah. And they really, I mean, they get hold of each other and it's yeah. like, he's like, a, he's, like a, he's like a crocodile devouring a rabbit. Yeah, thirsty you know? man at the waterhole. He's got hold of her, mate, and he's not letting go. 
Um, but she is also kind of surrendering to the moment as well. And I'll tell you what, these days it sounds so innocent, but I remember watching that in, like, 1978, and I think my jaw literally Hit fell over. the open. floor, yeah, yeah. What the yeah. fuck? Well, it was a, I mean, that was my... But, but that was this dynamic, and he kept that going, you know, with a Dead Ringer for Love. You know, Cher yeah, comes yeah. in, that she's even in the video... I'd do anything for love has the female. And he, actually it's worth saying also that Cher it's was at a Cher was, but Cher was at a low point when she did that. I mean, it was before her big comeback no, absolutely. in the, in it, the it, mid eighties. Exactly. Hey Cher, would you like to do a video yeah. with this guy? Well, yeah, but I mean, he no, was... Bit, you, but he just sold 10 million... Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. yes, I'll exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, you know, it goes... But the first time I heard Bat Out of Hell... Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, it, it, it just this extraordinary record that doesn't sound like anything else. Actually, it later transpires what it does sound a bit like is Born to Run by Bruce Springsteen because a lot of the same musicians are on the album. Roy Batam's playing the piano, Max Weinberg's playing the drums. The the other the, the sort of the third wheel for Bat was obviously Todd Rundgren who comes in who's like this who amazing record, genius yeah. who produced it played on it and was basically just having fun. I mean, it wasn't Todd's cup of tea in the slightest. No, although Todd himself with his group Utopia were, was also uh, in the mid to late seventies was also Utopia was this ostensibly a progressive rock group, but who dealt in these kind of epically layered. Um, production numbers so it wasn't a million not a million no but i mean i just i suppose what i mean it wasn't his sensibility it wasn't rungren's sensibility particularly um but he just does it so brilliantly you know there's that great thing about stein saying oh todd can you make your guitar sound like a motorcycle yeah and and rungren just does it because he's a genius you know he of course he can do it and apparently yeah. him and Jim, Rungren and Steinman, really kind of buddied up while they were mm. making Bad Out of Hell. Yeah. And Meatloaf had the most miserable time because yeah. he wasn't part of the yeah. team. But he then, then hadn't written the songs, he wasn't producing yeah. them. But really you can see almost that's a Steinman ploy because, again, it casts Meat as the outsider and he gets these tremendous performances out of him because he's cast him out. You know, he's brought him in and cast him out. And I, I really think that was very probably a ploy on Steinman's part, he would know. Because if you look at the interplay between Meat and Jim throughout their lives, they make this whole, you know, they, when you fit them together, they become this one thing. And they both know that, but they're constantly fighting with one another. Because I think people rail against that thing that everybody sees and thinks is marvellous and obvious. Yeah. To the people involved, it can feel like a like a trap it yeah. can feel confining yeah. and also what part you, you then get that great sort of you know crisis of identity where you go well what part of me is this and especially with meatloaf himself because as he said <coughs> as he always said the other reason his his interpretations of Steinman's songs were so much better than for example barbara streisand who's obviously a better singer mm-hmm. is that Meatloaf inhabited the songs. He he was a loser. He got what it meant. He understood the songs on a very, very deep level. And I think that's what Steinman also understood about me. And and about Bonnie. I mean, I remember <laughs> I went to I, 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 I'm gonna differ yeah, go on, with you go on, slightly on jump this. In, jump in. I, I don't think Steinman had it that worked out because it, he he had worked with other singers. Um Oh, he's got a coterie but, of singers that he but, would work with. I mean, before the fame. Um, and from my memory of writing the book, um, there is the moment where 
Steinman is working with other singers that are better, better. Almost everybody was better looking in those days than Meatloaf because he was enormous still. But then Meatloaf comes in and that voice, that mm. voice, and I think what you're talking about now definitely comes into play. The voice, the persona, the fact that he was this grotesque, as it were. Mm. I think Jim did on not just on a conscious level but i think on kind of yeah, just went, a subconscious level. this is this, this is, is what i've been waiting be, for be, yeah. because meatloaf's memory this is something meatloaf told me the the day he met steinman he said he came in it's, it's just him and steinman with a piano in the room he said and steinman came in wearing gloves <laughs> He said, and then he, he did that thing, you know, like yeah, a stripper, yeah, one yeah, finger yeah, at a time, yeah, taking the yeah, gloves off. Yeah, yeah. He got the gloves off, and underneath were more gloves. Uh. <laughs> and then he played the... And Steinman said, the minute Meatloaf started to sing, he said the piano began to shake slightly. Wow. Yeah. Because he had that voice. That voice was... I mean, again, listen to that him singing more than you deserve and you'll hear how powerful He had a fantastic And it voice. all ends after Bat Out of Hell for that, you know, stress or whatever it was, um, the amount of shows they did. His voice goes and it never quite comes back to, no. what it, to what it was in those early days. Well, again, people forget it, it was the 70s and these sort of two-year world tours weren't a thing. I mean, there just weren't that many places that you could book a concert mm. in those days. Britain, parts of Europe, America. If you were mega, maybe Japan, maybe Australia. But even groups like The Who mm. only went to Australia once. And as you say, they, as you say, they weren't mega at that point. Not at all. Not, they were not complete, at the start of the tour. Complete yeah. unknown. Yeah. Jim, Jim actually, momentum. Jim, the man who you know won't go anywhere, actually goes on tour the first He's time. He plays the key. He plays the piano. Yeah. But walks out on the tour at a certain <laughs> juncture. And I heard it was after the Australian shows because there were countless interviews where the two of them are sitting there. And you and I have been in this situation. Yeah. And, of course, all the questions are going to meet yeah. because it's no a record one by it. Meatloaf. Yeah, yeah. Here is Meatloaf. Yeah. He sings yeah, the songs. Yeah. He's the... The other, what is Who's the other, the other guy? Yeah, oh, he plays piano. Yeah. Well, you oh, look on, you know, you him. look on the album "Songs" by Jim Steinman. That's yeah, all you, it says. Well, that's kind of an inconvenient yeah. truth, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. Um, the first time I ever saw a meatloaf. Uh, oh, sorry to finish that story. So Steinman gets the fucking hump. Why is no one talking to me? And then there's some story, you know, some excuse, some reason why he has to go home. But basically, that's it. He never performs with meatloaf again. And here we have, you know, you get the you know the meeting of the giants, you've got the meeting of the losers, yeah. because because Meatloaf, the grotesque, with no songwriting talent whatsoever, but this amazing nothing except the voice, is this literally and, and, and metaphorically huge star. And here is Steinman, the, the kind of genius of the group. And no one knows or cares. Mm. It's it's yeah. I know it says. So, yeah, yeah. But what does that actually mean? But who yeah, cares? Because yeah, yeah. he's meatloaf. Meat yeah, yeah, and he's big and, and ugly, and that's a story. You're right. And and here's the quandary that goes through the rest of their lives. You know, they're constantly battling back and forth to the point where, I think, um, when the musical comes out, when Battle of Hell the musical comes out, meatloaf isn't mentioned at all. It just says Jim Steinman. It's just Jim Steinman's bow of hell, you know, and it's almost as if Meatloaf, the, 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 the entity, has receded so far by that point. And the sad irony 
and that's how my book ends because it came out around that time was at the premiere in London uh, Meatloaf was there even though his name is, is nowhere not, yeah. to be seen yeah. and Steinman isn't there even though his name is everywhere yeah. to be seen right up to the very end they're still somehow dysfunctional yeah but it's that dysfunction that, that, creates that make, makes the them work yeah because after bat you know jim writes a whole well jim writes a whole other album first of all after bat that he loses you know he lost didn't he he used to carry it around in a plastic bag and he always said he'd written this amazing I think it was two or three amazing songs that he somehow lost and he could never get them back and it drove him insane. He couldn't remember what... Because I remember interviewing him and, uh, you know, he was his wordplay was always terrific. That was the great pleasure of his lyrics is the, is the wordplay and the little reverses and tricks. And he, was, he would just, when we were talking, would quote bits of Original Sin, which was the, the record he'd done at the time. You know, I've been looking for an Original Sin, one with a twist and a bit of a spin. You know, yeah, Vince Neil ain't going to write that. You know, that's a bit too good for, for them. You know? And, and, he, and he, uh, he'd lost this thing and it drove him crazy. Then he writes Bad for Good, which Meatloaf can't sing because he's hanging upside down drinking well, urine or whatever well, it was. Well, you know, Meatloaf, they say Meatloaf has lost his voice. Yeah. And the more I, as the years go by, the more I think that has to have been completely psychological damage. Yeah. yeah. He is so fucked up at this point, at the end of the Bat Out of Hell two-year extravaganza, whatever it was. Um, he, he can't sing. Yeah. Because that Bad For Good album, for me, would have been the perfect oh. follow-up to Bat Out of Hell. Yeah. Because every single, I mean, and some of those songs do resurface. They, oh, he plunders. I mean, this on, is the other thing on, about Jimmy. On meatloaf albums yeah, oh yeah, and he, others. He plunders his back catalogue constantly. Not only that, he plunders, I mean, little melodies, when you listen, yeah, uh, talking about more than you deserve, little melodies in that occur in other songs. And that, he does that constantly. Or, or even lines like in Total Eclipse of the Heart, which again was ostensibly written for meatloaf. Yeah. But ends up going to this uh, complete, in America, complete unknown called Bonnie yeah. Tyler. That. Turn around, yeah. bright eyes. Yeah. Now that's in that, that was in oh, lots that's, of previous. Yeah, that's songs right. In, it is. You're right. You're right. And yeah. then turns up years later in, and I can't remember, but probably Bat Three or something. Yeah, that, he, re, he reprises it. He does that a lot, and yeah. I think that's a very kind of it's a sort of classical composer thing, isn't it? The constant rephrasing of ideas. Uh, yeah, Steinman does that a lot. Um, but yeah, but but so so Jim decides he'll well he says he sang bad for good i mean if you look at the very very small print so one of the outs actually one of my favorite of his songs surfs up is on bad for good and uh, surfs up and so am i one yeah. of his great um but he, he was uh, capable of poetry yeah. but also oh, yeah. capable of smutty oh, jokes yeah absolutely yeah and he uh, rory dodd sings that mm. but i mean you have to look deep in the small yeah. print to see that that's yeah. not jim yeah, because uh, their voices are in a similar register. Rory Dodd's a way better singer, so obviously he takes on Surf's Up. And Rory Dodd was part of that sort of coterie that um, also sang on Bat Out of Hell. Oh, is the background? Yeah, also yeah, Also sang on yeah. uh, Dead Ringer. Dead Ringer, yeah, yeah, that's right. Because and demos, if you, again, you know, in the depths of YouTube, find a lot of Steinman songs are demoed by Rory Dodd. I, around the same period, uh, 7980, I was I worked with a, the guy I was in partnership at the time in a PR company. We had an artist called Danny Payronel, who had been the keyboard player. Claim to Flame was 
fame was he'd been the keyboard player in UFO for a couple of albums. <laughs> yeah. I thought you said a couple of hours. No, well, it felt UFO. like a couple. We're in very UFO. It was like it? he was in UFO <laughs> for two albums, and we and yeah. every time you ever spoke to him, it would come up. You know, <laughs> one of those. Yeah. And he was yeah. from South America, and his family was very well off. And he, he just was one of these guys who, you know, he'd had that moment of fame in UFO, and now he was going to be the new Billy Joel or something, like right? keyboard player and singer. And he kept coming up with these songs, and Joe thought they were amazing. I thought, yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and then he came in one day with this brand new, just got back from New York, and he had this new tape he played. It was fucking brilliant. <laughs> Just one thing. I'm going, it sounds like yeah. meatloaf, yeah, doesn't yeah. it? And he, he'd been in New York and he, because he had money, he'd hired Rory Dodd and all the kind of people that had worked on that project. Yeah, yeah. To now do all the vocal melodies. And it was, it was like the angels came down from the sky to sing. It was so good. But it was very much, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, I would do yeah, yeah, yeah. it. was really like it was like, Danny, this is amazing. It's just a shame yeah. that I've already done <laughs> it fifty yeah. times. Yeah, yeah. But, hey, yeah. So, but but yeah. here's the thing, you know, and then but Rory had that whole. Thing oh, Rory, yeah, and then uh, I think um, Dead Ringer, especially, is you know the backing vocals on Dead Ringer absolutely superb you know Steinman really the arrangements of the songs I'm going to love her for both of us more than you deserve read them and weep and actually probably my favourite meatloaf song of all I'll kill you if you don't come back yeah. it's an amazing song which has this kind of bog standard first four minutes and then goes into this beautiful coda where Steinman sort of reaches for one of his I always call him his list songs where he starts going you know he'll, he'll take a theme and he'll use it over and over and the guitarist on that is um, Davy Jones. Who's it? Davy Johnson, the Elton, Elton John. John's guitarist. Great guitarist. He plays this beautiful little bit of guitar all over this. And it's all about, um, it's all about the girls who never get a date. It's like, uh, bless all the girls who are always alone. They kneel down in prayer and they wait up by the phone. And you think, yeah, that's so good. Yeah. That's so good. Uh, but that's clearly autobiographical. Yeah, or it is. I mean, Jim's constantly writing about himself. That's what, you know, Meatloaf well, is well, him. Let's, let's talk so, about... Let's but, talk well, about... Well, sorry, all I was going to say really quickly was he does dead... And then it all falls apart. Meat and Jim split for years and years and years. And Meat makes a tit series. And here you see with the dual personality, who does what? Because Meat makes a series of terrible records and he has no discernment at all in the choice of material he makes, something that continues right well, throughout his career. it's kind of sub-Steinman, isn't it? It is, it's, it's either people trying to epic... write songs that are like Jim Steinman, which just don't do it, you know, because... Because you, you can't, because it's not Jim. The only one who ever got close was um, Desmond Child. He wrote a song called Blind as a Bat, which is on a later <laughs> Meatloaf album, which is really good. And when I first heard it, I thought, fuck, that's Jim. But it wasn't. It was Desmond Child. I think Desmond Jim. was probably very influenced. Yeah, by. yeah, probably, but yeah. who was <clears throat> Steinman influenced by? And um, I'm going to start you off here by saying one of the things he told me was... Um, it's such an interesting, so obvious when you think about it, but he said he, as a kid, he was obsessed with those girl groups like the Shangri-Las. Right, right. Um, you know, leader of the Pack. All the Phil Spector stuff. Uh, yeah, I don't know if Phil did Leader of the Pack, but I think it was Shadow Morton did that. But his point was is they were girls, but they weren't like good girls like the Renettes. Mm, they, they were bad were, girls. Yeah, leader of the Pack, Yeah, you know. 
where the guy dies and yeah. you hear the revving motorbike. Yeah. He said he loved all that. And he had this idea that he always had this idea that he'd love to form the ultimate kind of bad girl, yeah, yeah. bad girl, girl yeah. group. Um, but musically, he he drew more inspiration from the Phil Spector productions, which is where I think the overlap with Born to Run comes from, because that's clearly an homage to Phil Spector, that 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 full spectrum sound. Yeah. Which Springsteen yeah. didn't have on the first two albums. No, not at all. No, no. But but Steinman went further back than Spectre to the great Bernard Herman, who was this gothic film music composer <laughs> that that did right. all the Hitchcock movies. Wow. I didn't um, know that. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Dun dun Yeah, that's very, very Steinman. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and the yeah. bird. Yeah. Yeah. Or was it um Yeah. Herman was a genius. Yeah. And um the first person I ever heard about Meatloaf from was Sandy Robertson. Yeah, of course. A, yeah, he wrote was the guy who'd write about Meatloaf at that point. He was about the only yeah. music critic in the UK that wrote about Meatloaf. And everybody was like because it was a height of punk as well. It yeah, like yeah. The height of Why punk. We've got a 300-pound yeah. gorilla yeah. singing 10-minute tracks yeah. on a seven-track album. Yeah. Uh, uh, epics. What the, what the fuck? Almost David Lynch territory before we knew about David Lynch. Yeah. You know? This is crap. This is everything that is... That we hate. That we hate. Yeah. And yet it keeps selling it. Every track becomes a single and a hit somewhere in the world. And I happened to be sharing a flat with Sandy, and he'd be playing this. And I'd literally be going, what is this shit? And he would just tell me more and more and more about it. And it was Sandy that made the Bernard Herrmann connection. And it was Sandy that became a big friend of Steinman's. Yeah. So they would talk on the phone, and he'd be telling me all this funny stuff that this guy had said. But I didn't know who Jim Steinman was, <laughs> right, right. other than he had written songs for Meatloaf. Um but then a year or two later, Sandy wrote a book, a meatloaf book. It was for Omnibus, which is fan-type books, lots of pictures. I mean, really thin. Yeah. I've got it in the other room some, somewhere. About 30,000 words, if that, 20,000 and pictures. And the, he called the book The Phenomenology of Excess. Oh, that's a good title. And when I spoke to Steinman, he, I, I was trying to persuade him to do his autobiography. Right. And he goes, do you know, the only thing that's ever stopped me doing an autobiography is that I could never come up with a better title oh, than, that. than the phenomenology yeah, yeah. of excess. Yeah, that's... But in that book was a chapter on Bernard Herrmann. And Steinman said to Sandy, you're the only person that's ever made that connection. Wow. But I worshipped Bernard Herrmann. Yeah. He was my guiding star because it was completely gothic, completely over the top. But really effective, really effective. Um, he 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 could make music that imitated life, you know, but scary life. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was a bit like I mean, I suppose one of the overlooked parts of Steinman's career was when he he reinvents the Sisters of Mercy. They were like this kind of dreary goth band, you know, with again ambitions of grandeur, delusions of grandeur. But Steinman gives them this corrosion, you know, and it's amazing. It just sounds like, you know, it's like, or um, I can't remember if it was this corrosion or dominion, which starts with that line, 
uh, 25 whores in the room next door, 25 whores and I want more. <laughs> oh, no, it's more, isn't it? Sorry. So, but Stone produces this whole album for them, which does sound like, doom, doom, you know, like you were describing, yeah. gothic but massive. And then gets hired to produce Def Leppard, which is one of the few damp squibs. So I think you should... Okay. Because okay, he, obs- he was obsessed with this fucking Def Leppard thing, Simon. He really, it really got to him, didn't it? What, the fact that The fact that fired. they'd essentially fired him, yeah. Well, Joe Elliott, the singer of Def Leppard, who I've asked about this on a few different occasions, um, he, he said that the thing was, we'd be working... You know, we should say it was for Hysteria, wasn't it? It was the early part the of his, Hysteria. The album that became Hysteria. Because Mutt Lang had already said, I'm done, yeah. I've done two albums with you. That was sort of Mutt's limit in those days. Mm. Well, two or three was his limit. Um, well, he was off on something else, wasn't he? Because he Lang took so long. He got hired for... for, for yeah, like he got that. hired for years. In a, you know, if you booked Mutt Langer, you, you had I him for four donkey's four, like, years. Yeah. yeah, he needs another six yeah, months. He needs yeah. another six months. And uh, and it, the album was cursed, you know. I mean, then Rick loses his arm and blah blah blah. But for a while, they're working in Ireland because it's a tax dodge. Um, and Steinman is there, and and Joe goes, you know, it's a really big, important album for us because Pyromania was mega, yeah. mega, mega in America, but nowhere else, not even Britain. So this was going to be the one that put them over the top everywhere, if if they could mm. deliver it. And. Um, Joe would be like, we're, we're working on this guy. Jim, what do you think? Jim, Jim. And he'd be in the control room reading the paper. Yeah, but this is... See, this is... I, see, I, well, let me go tell you my theory on this and then you'll, you'll, you'll yeah, jump yeah, in. Good. I couldn't help wondering if Jim Steinman... Um, that this wasn't mighty enough to interest him over a long extended period because... I mean, it should have been. I mean, Hysteria becomes, I think, uh, uh, one of the greatest. Oh, it's sort a masterpiece! It's a masterpiece of production, without a doubt. It's the production, really, that yeah. is the masterpiece yeah. aspect of the yeah. album. Steinman has his opportunity, but he doesn't deliver because but, he's not really a producer. Well, that's what I was, that's what I was going to say. Is here's the thing: Todd Rundgren produces Bat Out of Hell. Steinman. I don't think he produced Bad for Good. He certainly didn't produce Dead Ringer. So of the three, I don't know what. Did he ever produce it? Yeah, he didn't produce Total Eclipse of the Heart. So I, so I just think he, he It was an odd choice from Def Leppard, and it, it really. I mean, it got to Steinman to the point. So I remember him saying, when I was speaking to him, he goes, uh, I, I was asking him just. Uh, yeah, well, you would, wouldn't you? I mean, Def Leppard at that point, one of the biggest bands in the yeah, world. What, what Hysteria was one of the biggest Where albums did it all in the go world. Wrong? Yeah, well, yeah. Um, and he said, uh, "Yeah, he goes. Uh, I knew it all went wrong when uh, Joe Elliott said to me, I went to the cinema last night.' And Jim said, "Oh, did you? What did you go and see?' And he said, uh, "Joe Elliott said to me, I went to see Police Academy Four. <laughs> And, and Steinman's kind of outraged by this, you know, and he, goes, uh, and he goes, oh, and tell me, Joe, was it any good? And Joe Elliott said to me, oh, yes, it was way better than Police Academy 3. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and Steinman's just, he's outraged by the whole, the 
every part of those of that discussion is to him an insult in the face of cinema, <laughs> you know, a, a, a comedy, anything. So it you know, was so him. it was. It, he, it, I think he, he felt intellect. Not probably intellectually wrong, but yeah, it was beneath him. You know, they. They. I don't think you know. Leopard are an amazing group, but they. But Steinman's fired by this vision and he works best when it's his vision and if he'd sat down and gone you know okay Def Leppard I've written these songs these are what we're going to do it I mean it wouldn't have sounded anything like Def Leppard it might have been amazing who knows but I think it would have engaged him but I, I think you're absolutely right given that it was their they, songs they, the they didn't group. really know what they I mean they Leopard, were the wrong group for him and he was definitely yeah. the wrong producer I mean them. when you see the, the there's a classic albums program on the making of hysteria and when you see how painstaking everything mutt lang did was and how the songs were pieced together and you know phil collins saying well i had you know a few notes here that he liked and a few notes and so we did this and we did that and over the course of years mm. they turned into yeah. songs yeah. you know so steinman steinman's a composer he's not going <laughs> to fucking stand for that you well, know he's beethoven isn't yeah he? yeah he's like he's got music flying out of his asshole as exactly. they say you know he's not going to take six months to write <laughs> a fucking pour some sugar on me you know Nevertheless, that's um, not to decry definitely. Which is to say, I reiterate, Hysteria is a fantastic record. Who, who would he have, apart from Meatloaf? I mean, who would he have been good? Well, I don't. I, I think only. I mean, he, he's. I remember. I remember Jeff Barton calling me over one day and giving me some big spiel and saying, "Here's that." He goes, "Right, you're going to interview Bonnie Tyler," <laughs> <laughs> and I'm amazed he even put her in Kerrang because this is like. Way after Total Eclipse. Again, she's not got a Jim Steinman song to sing. There's no holding what out about, for a hero. Um, ho holding out for a hero. Yeah, he did. She'd already done that. I mean, this is way later. He goes, go, uh, go to Wales. You had to go to Wales to interview her. She was in some really posh hotel. I mean, she obviously had money, you know. I interviewed her in this hotel room in Wales. And Bart was trying to sell it. It was a bit like when Del Boy used to interview <laughs> Anne Wilson, you know, who was his kind of ultimate sort of icon or whatever. I've kept to... this one specially yeah, for you, Yeah, I've kept John. this one specially for you. So I got interviewed Bonnie Tyler. I mean, I'm Smith, you know, she was, I mean, she was, she was a, you know, like she was like a kind of, I'd say she's a bit like a sort of hot school teacher. You know? I think the word That's you're looking for is milk. Yeah. <laughs> Are you, were you milfed up going to interview Bonnie? And I don't think just was, a I don't think, boy and she from was like, she was like, oh, would you like a cup of tea? You know, she was like giving me was tea. She, and she was like, I didn't know she was from Calcutta. <laughs> what did she say again? Oh, God. And I must what have she written say? this absolutely. No, come on, tell in me a Welsh said. accent, she yeah, said, go on. Well, what would you. <laughs> go on. Go on, let's have that again. I can't do it because I'm Of course you can. Go on. Would you like a cup of tea, boy? That's <laughs> with your curry. With Jim's curry, but to Jimmy and the curry. But but again, the one thing I do remember is, is she revered Steinman, absolutely revered him. Yeah, yeah. Um, he, uh, as we mentioned, he had his ups and downs. Uh, Pandora's box, shoulda, woulda, massive coulda, flopola, but massive total flopola. flop. Yeah, uh, I wonder if that was because it was hyped so badly because. Yeah. Some of those songs, A, were magnificent, and B, became enormous hits. I mean, 
It's All Coming Back to Me Now, yeah. which mm. was a huge record for, I think, Celine Dion. Yeah. That was Pandora's Box, Yeah, it was, it? yeah. It's All Coming Back to Me Now. Um, original Sin is on that, which Meatloaf later did. Safe Sex, which is a really great song. There's no such thing as safe sex when it comes to loving you. Another <laughs> classic little Steinman reverse. Um yeah, that's it. That Meatloaf does that. A couple of other people did that. I mean, yeah, loads of great songs on that record. Now, the, the he and Meatloaf also had um, this dreadful dysfunctional relationship that went beyond the music, the performing. They they were arguing about. They went to court and argued about money yeah. over who's that. Because Jim told me this is in two thousand and six. So what's that? Th- nearly thirty years after the album's out. And it reminded me a bit of when Ronnie James Dio used to talk about Rainbow, how it should not, it came out as Richie Blackmore's Rainbow, but it should have really been yeah. Richie Blackmore and, and Ronnie, Ronnie James, James Dio's, Dio's Rainbow. Rainbow. Yeah. Jim have. said on the original cover to Meatloaf, it was uh, by Meatloaf and, and Jim, Jim Stein. Steinman. That's right, it was, yeah. And he, he seemed to have a memory of being in the studio when Meatloaf got a phone call. I was like, uh huh, uh huh, uh huh, uh huh, uh uh, and the next thing, Jim's name wasn't on the album. And yeah. the record company going, it's just easy oh, to on sell. The, on the back, it says songs by Jim no, no, Stanley. No, but, which but I that think was, was an addendum. Yeah, so, yeah, which I was going to say, I think was that, later, in later editions, was even upgraded to the front of the album. But to that's, appease but that's what, Jim, yeah, there was because this, by now they're thinking, well, yeah, we've got to need another yeah. album. Because so. there was this idea that people wouldn't be able to grasp the fact that, because Meatloaf was such a weird name, and it was pertaining to a person rather than a band. I think there was an idea that people, if you then added in Meatloaf and Jim Steinman, it would be so confusing. Well, it'd be like saying the Rolling Stones and Mick Jagger. It's a bit, like this. It's it's a bit it. like this podcast, which is <laughs> Get Your Rocks Off with Mick Wall. Yeah, see, that's correct. It ends. That, that, that see, now, if, they, if they'd just done Bat Out of Hell by Meatloaf with Meatloaf, you know, I, see, see, that would, yeah. that would, no, no, you can't, no. That would be, that would make a lot of <laughs> sense. A lot of sense. From a commercial point of view. You know what I, you know what I just thought of, which was before we close, I'm sure we're getting close to the, close to the edge. Oh, yeah. Do you remember, I remember when you were doing your Meatloaf book and we were laughing about this bloke and I was trying to think of his name on the way over and I've just remembered it and I'm going to say it now. Steve Steinman. Oh, God. Do you remember him? He, he, he does the meatloaf shows. <laughs> Steve Stein. <laughs> it's great. amazing. I, was go, I tried to interview yeah, him for the book. It would have been amazing. Email. Yeah. There was just some website selling tickets for, for a like, show yeah, next he, year. He basically or does versions of Steinman songs and he cashed in on the fact Meatloaf couldn't tour anymore and all the rest of it. so he before Battle of Hell was a musical Steve he Steinman. was essentially he was, doing he was essentially doing that but also doing all the other Steinman songs as well and he was good and half inching his stick he's really good didn't he have girls he's in on, the group yeah he did he's yeah. on YouTube well he has girls to do the because in the show oh, is yeah, in yeah. the show is total eclipse of the, the heart and all that does he do the snogging? I don't know if he does the snogging of course snogging. he does you've got to be artistically yeah. pure but Steve Steinman and I was thought i'd love to love I, jim to have seen it i think i'm sure you told me about it or i told what you i can't i just remember us laughing but, about and sending the videos to each other but here I he is saying to, to yeah. you i remember saying to you and i can't remember if this is the actuality yeah. but in so many words he's doing coventry yeah, next yeah. month shall let's we go? go let's go and we wanted to go didn't yeah, we yeah i'd go if he does it again yeah steve steinman if you're listening steve if you're listening if you're give li- us a call buddy we, we want to come and see the show we want to talk okay, well we're in 
pandemic bullshit. When you go back to do yeah. shows. Or yeah. come here and do a show. Come and do a show in the... No, we're not actually here. No, no. No, no don't come not, round. Like let's not go. Let, don't no, come round. There's a reason I have an electric yeah. barrier we at are, the front of my house. We are both a bit like Simon and that we don't <laughs> like people coming round. <laughs> right, John, we are uh, out of time, sadly. But how will Jim be remembered? Because, be, because uh, he, he, sorry, I, I put that the wrong way round. Before I ask that question, um, one of the... You know, the sadnesses, the little things you noticed when he died and the obits came out. It didn't... It kind of had to tell people who he was and then why they should care that he died. And it just didn't, didn't capture get, Didn't capture all. him at all. And I think, yeah, you're right. And they all used that quote from Steinman, which he'd given once, where he talked about his songs and he says, well, they, you know, they're extreme, they're over the top. And he ended up, he ended up by saying, and silly. And he said that, and you kind of know how he meant it, but the only reason Steinman... Yeah, exactly. That, that's the only reason that they do work. And I think there's that slight kind of, oh, you know, it's only Jim pa- Steinman. Patronising. Patronising. The great thing... He's not as great as Liam Yeah, Gallagher. exactly, yeah. The great... Yeah, I mean, as if, <laughs> as if you know, Oasis are fit to inhabit the same planet. Exactly. You know? And it, it, it's... Um, yeah, and I think there is a little bit of that in all of the coverage of Steinman. But I just think he was a, a complete one-off, a complete one-off in everything he did. And his music should mean as much to people as anyone, any other great artist. Uh, even more so, in my opinion, than most of what we consider to be great artists, because um, it, it, it incredibly intelligent, brilliantly crafted, fearless. Yeah fearless yeah and know. i i would say i would say not silly but funny in yeah. part yeah definitely. great yeah but a, a great high level of humor yeah 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 exactly yeah it's like yeah. saying curb your enthusiasm is silly well you could yeah. say that but yeah you're not really it, it, capturing yeah, what no, makes what it, it so is. great yeah. Yeah. yeah it's a very heightened <laughs> it's an acute that's a, yeah it's a really good point it's a, a good really high level yeah that not everybody gets c- but if c- you do get it yeah there's no going You get back. it, yeah. Godspeed, Jim. Yeah, God bless you, Jim. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to leave us a review, share it with a friend, or plain old subscribe wherever you listen to it. To getcha some conversation online, follow us on Twitter at GetchaPod. Until next time. This has been a No Filter Media production. Say what you want.